0: Welcome to Legally Bond, a podcast presented by the law firm Bond Cheneck and King. I'm your host, Kim Wolf Price. For those of you who don't know, one of my roles at Bond is to serve as the chair of the firm's well-being committee. On today's episode, we'll be discussing well-being with a special guest who spends a great deal of time and professional focus on the issue of well-being in the legal field. This is important timing because this is well-being in law week, which this year is May 1 through 5, and of course the month of May is mental health awareness month generally. Amy Johnston is a licensed clinical social worker. She is clinical director at Urban Wellness in Chicago. She works often on issues related to the workplace, as well as counseling on trauma and grief, and much more that you'll learn about. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: All right. Well, thank you. So uh, Amy, when I asked you to join me, I think I maybe got out as much of, hey, want to talk about lawyers and well-being? And you're like, Sure. Like you said, yes, happy. (laughs) So I'm so grateful that you said that and that you were willing to jump on and talk about this. And of course, also grateful that I've had the chance to get to know you through this work. Since I didn't give you much guidance, I hope we can talk a bit about what maybe what being means to you, why it's important to focus on it in the workplace and particularly legal workplaces, of course, and then perhaps learn a little bit about All Rise, your new initiative with the New York State Bar Association. Does that work as a plan? That sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So typically on the podcast, I like to start out with asking guests to give some background on themselves. I think listeners appreciate knowing a bit about who is speaking. So would you give us just a bit of information about you and who you are? Where you went to school, family.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Chicago. I went to Northwestern University for my undergrad and then University of Chicago for grad school. So I kind of did the north side, south side rivalry as far as schools go here in the Chicago area. Uh, Some of my Northwestern friends were not so pleased when they found out I was going south to University of Chicago. But and I I ended up back where I started. I've lived a lot of places, but I boomeranged about two miles from the house I grew up in where I live now on the northwest side of Chicago with my husband and my two kids, Charlotte's nine, Tommy seven. So when I'm not working, they take up
0: every spare moment of my life. That's absolutely. So and because of that, can you tell us what hurling is?
1: <laughs> hurling is an Irish sport. So, my husband is from Dublin, Ireland, and I was lucky enough to get to live in Dublin for about five years, the beginning of my career. And when we came back to the States and had kids and kind of settled, we started kind of connecting with the Irish community here in Chicago. And one of the ways that we did that is through the hurling club in our area. So, hurling is a sport that's kind of like a cross between lacrosse and field hockey and maybe like rugby a little bit um, there's it's pretty aggressive the kids wear helmets they've got dicks and they just go wild on the pitch so i have found myself being the secretary of our limerick chicago youth hurling and camogie club which is a mouthful yes um, <laughs> but it's a great sport but you know really it's about the community we've been able to build such a great community with the the Irish folks in the area, so my kids love it, and it's their connection to their kind of Irish culture and heritage.
0: That's fantastic. Plus, it's a cool sport that they'll always be able to say they know how to play, right? Like, it's absolutely, yeah. And yep. you get to be secretary of the club, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one more job for me. I was going to say, in your spare time, I'm not yeah. sure when that is, but <laughs> so I, that's fantastic. And, and like you said, it's probably it's a good way to connect, but probably good for your well being and mental health to have those connections as well, right? It
1: is. To be honest, over the summer, we had a four-day tournament in Chicago that was like 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., four days in a row, nonstop. And I was so disconnected from work and anything else during that time. And it was such a great wellness break, right? Like it was a hectic four days. We were busy. There was a lot going on. But at the end of each day, I realized I hadn't checked my phone. I hadn't checked my email. I hadn't been on social media. You know I was mm-hmm. fully present, and that's something that I don't think we get a lot of time for, um, or that we give allow ourselves a lot of time for. So
0: don't allow matter. ourselves for sure. That's awesome. Well, would you mind telling us a little bit professionally then about your career path as well? Yeah, let's see. I'm I'm a social worker by
1: training. I graduated in 2008 from social work school, and I I moved to Ireland on my graduation day. Actually, I didn't um, know it was on that day. That's amazing. It, yeah, it was. So my first job professionally was in child protection. I worked in the the child and family services department in Dublin, and that was actually my first experience working with lawyers as well, because I worked Mm -hmm. really closely with both the public defenders, the, the folks working for the health services executive, which is the agency that runs child protection there. And I was in court on my second day, actually, I, I was in court having no idea what I was doing, living in a foreign country, not understanding the laws, supposed to be testifying on a, a child protection case. Wow. So I was thrown into the Irish legal system really quickly. Hey, yeah, so um, deepened. <laughs> Yeah, I remember the first day I came into the, the courthouse. And they told me where to find my lawyer who I'd never met before. And I was young and excited. And I was like, hi, I'm Amy. It's my first day. I'm here for this case. He's like, oh, great. You're new. And I was like, I am. <laughs> but like, I think I know what I'm doing. And he's like, oh, and you're American. Fantastic.
0: So All the things I hope for.
1: <laughs> my first my first encounter with an attorney in Ireland. But anyways, a
0: little I, direct sometimes
1: we got along really well. Okay. The end. Um, but then I, I moved on from that job eventually. And I worked in an inpatient adolescent psychiatric hospital. And that's where my mental health education really began. You know, you learn theories in grad school, but working in an inpatient psychiatric hospital is where I actually built built so many of my skills around mental health and really a much more realistic understanding of what was going on in people's lives when it comes to well-being and mental health and mental illness. So I did that for a few years. And then I came back to Chicago and I worked in Lurie Children's Hospital in the intensive care unit, pediatric hospital here. Mm -hmm. And my job there was really focused on supporting staff and parents as they were dealing with the burnout, the crisis, the trauma, the things that were coming along with either parenting and caregiving for really chronically or critically ill kids, or also staff who, you know, day in and day out were coming to work in these really traumatic, really overwhelming situations. So I started kind of merging those two pieces of like mental health and support around crisis and trauma, and then also like working with people in high stress situations.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine the sort of so necessary, but such bleak days they must have felt sometimes with what constant cycle of kids coming in were very ill.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's really, I had my own sort of aha moment of burnout when I was there, which led me to where I am now at Urban Wellness. Is You know, we had kids, unfortunately, children did not always survive. And part of my job was to be present when a child was in an end of life situation, being there to support the family. And the day I kind of knew I had to do something else was when I was in an end of life situation and I was there to support the family and the doctor had turned off life support. The nurse had handed the child to the parents. The doctor was crying. The nurse was crying. The parents were obviously beside themselves. And I felt no feelings, like nothing. I knew it was sad. I really loved this family. I'd been working with them for months to try to help them like prepare for what was coming. Um, and I knew how horrible and tragic the situation was, but I couldn't feel a thing. And that was really kind of the the aha moment for me when I thought I have to do something else now because I'm not showing up for these folks the way I, I should be and could be.
0: Or you are putting up so many defenses to protect yourself.
1: <laughs> well, right. Yeah. I mean, I had a baby and a toddler and yeah. a lot going on in my own life at that point. So yeah. And it was, you know, I thought I was holding it all together really well and it was like bleeding out of me in all ways except at work, really. Like I was holding it together really well at work. And when I look back, I'm like, oh, I was I was not in a good space then. So I left and I came to Urban Wellness where I became a therapist and then eventually the director of education and now the clinical director. So I've been here about four years now.
0: Well, when you said that about holding it together at work and not other places, I think that's a big thing that many people encounter along the way. And that's why programs like All Rise and other things we'll talk about are so critical because I do think that we think, well, um, but work's going okay. Right. Oh yeah. I've got it all under control. Yes. Everything's fine. We're all fine here. That's like the oh, line God. from Star Wars. We're all fine here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, thank you so much. I sometimes, as you probably have already experienced and experienced first, maybe in Ireland, sometimes with anything law related, we skip the human component. So, I think it's important that we start out the podcast every time we're getting to know who we're talking to. So, thank yeah, you I so love much. That. Yeah. Sure. Thanks. All right. So, we met through one of the first well being in law conferences that happened during COVID. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All online. So you have a successful counseling practice and your clinical director, you're working with non-law clients. What drew you to this work as it relates to legal professionals?
1: I was thinking about that because I get that question a lot. Obviously I'm not an attorney and there's always like, where's the connection? How does that, how does that fit together? And usually, and what, like my, the first thing that comes to mind is I had several attorney clients as individual therapy clients before COVID. And when the pandemic started, a lot of my clients were coming in with workplace trauma and burnout and needing to leave their jobs. But my lawyer clients were especially struggling. And I don't know what it was about that specific time during the pandemic in law, in the profession, but they were struggling in a way that really just turned a light bulb on for me that said, okay, I'm happy to be here with my clients who I care about to help them try to pick up the pieces of what's going on for them. But there really needs to be a way that we can be more proactive so that these people who've worked so hard in their education, so hard in their careers can get some support before it's too late, right? Before like all the red flags are waving and before they're completely burned out. So, I had sort of a personal interest because those clients happened to be attorneys, and I was like, we need to do better for you. And then, generally speaking, a lot of my other clients were struggling with workplace issues. And I started to do some research around workplace mental health, workplace well being, what kind of programs existed. And it just was kind of one of those right place, right time situations where the ABA had just done its pledge for well being. Right. And the idea of mental health and law was just gaining a lot of momentum, but was still early on enough that there was just a lot of need for people to come into that conversation. And so when I saw the Institute for Wellbeing and Law conference, I thought, well, this sounds like a great way for me to start meeting more people, having these conversations and seeing what I can offer to this area. And that conference actually was just so amazingly well run. And it was a virtual conference. I'd never met any. yeah. (laughs) And some of my very favorite people and people that I now consider to be really close personal friends are folks I met through that conference. And so it was just very lucky that I had that interest. The research pointed me towards law as a place that my background might be helpful in. And then I met the most amazing people, including you, who I could keep building this work with. And then today, when I was thinking about it a little more, I actually hadn't reflected on the fact that my first job was in oh, yeah. health protection and legal aid, not as an attorney, but as a social worker. And that was an incredibly hard job. And the mental health impact of that job stayed with me for a very long time. And it didn't actually hit me until today that I had experienced what a lot of attorneys are experiencing around the trauma in the system. Yes. Um, and that sort of secondary vicarious stress and trauma that comes from working within legal systems that are broken. and they are in Ireland just as they are here.
0: Yeah, no, that's really interesting because the social systems that feed into the legal systems where one's broken and the second one's broken, but it's supposed to be the thing that fixes it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that is a lot. So yeah, that conference was amazing, and I mean, we worked together for what almost two years on various things before finally in January we were in the same place. <laughs> At the same
1: time. Uh, yes. And my partner, Ashley, who couldn't yes. be here today because she's unfortunately nursing a migraine, but she and I met at that conference as well. And we built a whole collaboration together over the course of the year, having never met each other once and finally got to meet uh, in January. So it was an amazing way to meet people um, that I just never expected.
0: Yeah, it was fantastic. Yes, we're definitely going to shout Ash out a lot throughout the course of today. And we'll have to have you guys back, I think, on the podcast. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So when we say well-being in law, I think that sometimes people think we just mean the lawyers, but your story proves that it's more than that, right? It's everyone who works in near adjacent to, because the law is often people presenting with a problem and saying, please help me fix it. So Mm -hmm. if you're the counselor involved in a child protective issue or the assistant or the paralegal or anyone working in and around that realm, you have those same stresses, don't you?
1: Absolutely. I mean, when you think about vicarious trauma, it's anyone who touches a traumatic situation, witnesses it, hears the story about it. And so, you know, whether you're working in law in a capacity like a public defender or someone who's kind of at the face of some of these really challenging systems or whether you're working in, you know, litigation or working in more of a, a corporate setting, the conflict is always there, right? People right. are coming to you with no one comes to you as an attorney because their life is going really well, That's usually. Right. Yes. right. So regardless of what the struggle is, you're bearing witness as, as a legal professional to people's biggest struggles and most vulnerable moments. And and that extends out in as a ripple effect through all legal professionals that come into contact with clients, cases, situations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So why is something like well-being in law week an important step in this process of trying to help people find their own balance, heal, not get to that point of burnout?
1: I think well-being in law week is kind of a door opener, right? When Whenever you have a, a day or a week or a month or sort of a, a set time to acknowledge or celebrate or bear witness to something, I always feel like it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, I want us to be thinking about this all the time, not yes. just during Being in Law Week. But on the other hand, you have to have an opening somewhere. And I think Being in Law Week is an amazing opportunity to really highlight the hard work that's going on all year round in a lot of firms and organizations and bar associations. It's a way for the spotlight to really be focused in on some of these initiatives. And the hope is, that that triggers that ripple effect into the rest of the year, Um, that it's just a first step in giving people some more awareness around what they can be doing all year round to take care of themselves and to take care of their colleagues.
0: So it's probably the same then with Mental Health Awareness Month too, right? Like we want this to be all the time, but if we have to sort of like that, you know, town crier moment of like, hey, pay attention to this, and then hoping that the message gets up.
1: That it sticks, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I have so many organizational and business clients who want me to come out and do trainings and webinars and presentations for Mental Health Awareness Month, which is fantastic. And what I love is when that continues and you know, they use that to then launch whatever they're going to be doing for the rest of the year. What I don't love is when I don't hear from them again until the following April when they're like, okay, it's time again. <laughs>
0: come on back. Um, yeah, exactly. And I know that people get busy, but it is something that we have to focus on much more often. I mean, and I think, and I'm I'm saying this because I was actually just looking through them. There are, are small things like the advocate that you've put together, which gives people some talking points and starting starting points. Do you want to talk just a little bit about resources like that?
1: Yeah, The Advocate is a little card deck that I made early in the pandemic when I clearly didn't have enough to do because I was doing things like creating card decks on Canva. I was dipping my toe into graphic design. But it's a card deck with different topics and themes around well being. And, you know, we look at things like anxiety, uh, trust and connection, coping and resilience stress and stressors and then leadership and sort of how to lead well, manage well and support your team and really how to have some conversations around this stuff. Because historically and in law, I think more than many other fields, these are not topics that were openly discussed
0: absolutely ever
1: up until maybe the last few years in most places. And so I think when you can have some resources, just really simple ones on how to start a tough conversation, how to ask someone how they're doing or how to respond if somebody shares something with you that's hard, right? Like how to manage your boundaries, because obviously you're not a therapist and you shouldn't be, but you also still need to know how to hold space for people who are struggling because more and more people are showing up with their whole selves at work, which is something we say we really want, but it also means managers, leaders, supervisors, colleagues, we need more kind of resource and background on how to show up for them, right? How to how to hold space for people when they're struggling.
0: Yes, absolutely. And and that's why last year we had you come into the firm because there was a lot of trauma in the news and it was affecting many of our geographic markets and people generally. And we, we really do believe in, you know, as the diversity officer, I think well-being is part of my role, right? Because it's inclusion and belonging and mm-hmm. your whole self is part of it. So- you held a, a conversation on vicarious trauma and grief and to let people give them a few skills, a few things to talk, they can hold on to because it's so important if we want people to bring their whole selves to work that we see and acknowledge that whole person.
1: Right, right. When we say like bring your whole self to work, you know, it doesn't just mean like bring your quirky personality, although that's some of it, you know, yeah. like. I have pink hair. I have tattoos. Yeah, I'm a little, you know, but what what that means really, if people take it to heart is like sometimes people are going to show up struggling. Sometimes people are grieving. Sometimes people have just had a horrible fight with their partner or their child and are you know, not fully prepared to be the best version of themselves that day. Sometimes people can't show up because whatever's going on for them is so overwhelming that they need some time off. And so it's not about everybody bearing their entire personal life all the time at work. And that's not what we mean by bringing your whole self. It just means like we need to create psychologically safe spaces where people can feel vulnerable enough and brave enough to say, Hey, I'm struggling today. So I'm going to cancel some meetings and just work on some paperwork or, you know, some, doing some writing or doing some things where I don't have to maybe be on, or I'm going to take a half day today because I really need to just give myself some space, right? So you don't have to share every detail of what's going on for you, but you need to be able to ask for what you need. And as leaders, we need to be able to give people that space and, and help them feel comfortable to do that.
0: Right. And not judged.
1: Yes, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Just like giving grace a little bit, just, Mm -hmm. and maybe even a space where people can say, Hey, I need a half day today and not expect them to bear everything because maybe they can't at that moment. Yes.
1: Just giving people that flexibility and that trust, right. That like, I trust you that if you tell me you need a half day, I don't need to know why. Right. Take it. You do what you need to do. If you need to take the day today for whatever is going on for you, I trust you that that's the best decision and that you will catch up when you're back. Yeah. Or you will delegate, or you know I can help out, or whatever
0: that looks like. Right, exactly that you can you could manage this workflow, that it'll get done in the way it needs to get done, and you can do what you need to do. So mm-hmm. it's really so important. And you've worked with you mentioned healthcare workers who are dealing with tremendous trauma, and you've worked with a variety of other people, both in individual counseling and in organizations. Is there a way that law is a little bit different in the approach to well being, or how you have to approach this?
1: yeah, I think it is. There's similarities and differences. So I think when I, when I'm working with physicians, especially intensive care unit physicians, I, I feel like their personalities are very similar to attorneys, yeah. perfectionist, that really loud inner critic, um, that sort of very like driven mentality to you know do the best you can and to succeed. And I see a lot of similarities in the type of people that go into those roles. I think one of the differences is that in healthcare, there's really no denying that you're face-to-face with trauma all the time. That's I think that there's more acceptance and acknowledgement that as a physician, as a healthcare practitioner in a really high stress environment like that, you're not really saying like, it's fine. I'm good. There's nothing really going on here. You're coming home saying like someone died today. I was... Doing CPR on someone, like this tragedy happened. So I think there's just more acknowledgement about how tough it is on a day-to-day basis. I think in law firms, number one, I think it's a little bit harder to make the connection sometimes between trauma Absolutely. and law. Because it's not um, my usually. Yeah, yeah. I see it now so clearly from being kind of an outsider in in the world. But I think when you're In it, it's harder to maybe make that connection. And I think that's partially because when we think of trauma, we think of car crashes, deaths, violence, explosions, like capital T trauma. But what really actually wears us down over time and impacts our mental health, it's not those capital T trauma events, it's the daily, never ending, chronic, high stress environment that never really lets up and is unrelenting. And I think that's what attorneys and legal professionals are starting (laughs) to more, right? That like it's small T trauma, but it's never ending. It's persistent. So I think that's where there's some, there's some differences there. I think another kind of difference within the legal profession is not so much between the legal profession and healthcare, but legal profession and the rest of the world is that lawyers don't want to need help. So a lot of clients, Will come to me being, you know, business clients, organizational clients, saying, like, we really need some help. We know we need to do some work. We just don't have the expertise to do it. Like, come in, see what you think about us, see how you can help. Like, let's make a plan. And great, that's what we do. Yeah. With law firms, I think there's still a lot more hesitancy to say, we need some help with this. We're not coping so well. We need some support. A lot of times people are still thinking like Ugh, what if if we say we're not doing okay? What will people think about us?
0: Will people still trust us to take their problems on?
1: Absolutely. So I think that there is that sense of protecting the image or protecting this idea that lawyers are bulletproof and infallible, when in fact, like none of us are.
0: Right, and we know that about ourselves, but it's just that image that I think you're right. It's sort of a protection of like, well, people need to know that we're here for them.
1: Right, and I think truly when when we really break it down and we're honest with ourselves clients colleagues you know people actually really like to see you as human right like i i was very lucky to give a ted talk last year on relationships at work but one of the things that i thought was really kind of potent in the in the talk was like if you show up on a zoom call with a giant coffee and a messy bun and a story about like the chaos of the morning routine with your toddler, I promise you that your client is going to feel some way connected to you in that moment, right? Right. Like, I think it's more important than ever for people to see us as humans, both because it creates connection, but also because it helps with these unrealistic expectations. It helps kind of set some boundaries, you know, Lawyers are amazing professionals. Legal professionals are so good at what they do, but you're not superheroes and no one should expect you to be. So I think kind of resetting expectations to a more realistic version of what our lives look like long-term will be really helpful. I think short-term, yeah. it still feels really scary.
0: I think so. Absolutely. And I have to say like, that's part of the, the podcast, uh, producer Kate and I, that's why everyone gives that intro because we want people to connect as humans. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little something about you makes a big difference.
1: Absolutely. So I think, you know, little by little it's, it's happening in the legal world, but I do think there's just some armor that, yes. that still kind of gets in the way sometimes.
0: We're not known as a profession that changes quickly.
1: No, that's okay. <laughs> it's, so, a good cha- it's a good yeah. challenge for us, uh, social workers and therapists.
0: That's good. We like to, we like to be helpful if we can. That's good. We want like to present a challenge. Keeps me so, on my yeah. toes. So if a managing attorney is listening and thinks, you know what, we should be focusing on that. What are some sort of first steps to bringing a conversation about well-being into the workplace, into a, a a law firm or a legal services agency?
1: I think if you really want to start working towards culture shift and making sustainable, real change, I think you have to come at it from two sides. I think we you need a top-down approach and a bottom-up approach. Okay. And what I mean by that is, you know, a top-down approach really means leaders have to be leading this conversation. Because of those kind of worries about what will people think or how will I be perceived, psychological safety, which really means just like people feeling like it's okay to tell the truth about how they're doing and there won't be any blowback or consequences, that cannot be achieved unless senior leaders Partners are the ones modeling that. Right. So something that is really simple to do, um, but I think has a massive impact, is doing something like a well-being or mental health panel discussion, where you know we would facilitate three senior leaders, either in a live in-person town hall type setting or a Zoom virtual setting, where those three leaders are going to each tell a vulnerable story. Yeah, it could be about you know, a time that they dealt with anxiety. It could be about a failure or sort of a workplace situation gone wrong. It could be just a personal story about what's been going on for them in their lives. But it's a way to model that vulnerability and model that openness and say like, hey, I've dealt with anxiety. These are the things that happened because of that. Like, here's how I dealt with it. Here's how I moved through it. Here's how I continued to be a successful attorney. And I think that type of engagement really sets the tone for the rest of the organization. So I think that's a really important sort of first step is getting those folks in those senior positions to model what you want everyone to be able to do. And then when you're thinking about a bottom-up approach, we really believe that people need to be able to do this work in community. So if you're trying to change culture in a firm, there's no way one individual Secretary, or one junior associate, or you know, one paralegal is going to feel like they can decide to embrace well being and really focus on self care if the rest of the firm or the rest of their team isn't kind of in on that, right? Yeah, so creating spaces really intentional spaces for people to be having these conversations, sharing their wisdom, taking time for self care in a way that's kind of communal really the idea that when you're in community with other people who get it and who care about you and care about well-being, it's much easier to make that commitment than if you're trying to do it alone. So I think it's just essential to create space for people, whether that's well-being committees, ERGs, whether it's something that we do is called the WELL. It stands for Well-Being and Exceptional Lawyering Labs, but it's this Eight to twelve week pod where people come in in cohorts and like have these discussions, right? Talking about things like boundaries, curiosity, resilience, um, but doing it in community with people who get what you do, understand the culture of the organization, understand the challenges that you're you're dealing with, and, and building those skills with other people.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense, and it's absolutely has to be something in community and. I don't know if you found this in other professions, but I'm realizing with myself, you know, we, you and I have talked. Like, I meditate. I, be, you know, I believe in in well being and mental health. But I also know that sometimes I have my lawyer armor up, and mm-hmm. so I'm like, when I'm helping plan well being and law week, I have to step back because I'm like, why are we doing raffles? Why are we doing this? But it gets people together. It makes yeah. people they're all on it together. They're excited. It doesn't have to be the thing that works for me. Right. right, because people tell me over and over meditation doesn't work for them, so I get it. Right, like so. I but I think as lawyers sometimes we're like I don't have time, and we have to pull back and say, okay, there's a lot of different personalities who work here. We have to have a lot of different approaches because it has to work for other people.
1: Absolutely. Well, being you know you have to have like a um, an a la carte menu approach, yeah. right? Not every strategy works for every person you know, when I'm talking about strategies for reducing stress and cortisol in your body, we know that the evidence says that exercise is the best way to deal with that. I hate exercising, (laughs) right? So (laughs) I mean, I'll walk, but yeah, I'm with probably the, you know, but you know, not everyone is going to hop on a Peloton and that's okay because there are other options that work too. Maybe not the same way, maybe not quite as fast, but I'm much more of a, you know, do something creative or have a chat with a friend kind of person. And those are also really good strategies. So I think especially during well-being in law week, when you're trying to cultivate that excitement and like drum up some energy around it, having different types of options and not expecting everybody to show up to everything. That's right. That there's going to be different things that really resonate with different people.
0: Exactly. And my nerdy that I want to have a fact go with everything is not going to work for everyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, say, yes, drink more water, but give them the fact on how that helps anxiety and depression. Okay, Kim, we know you're a nerd. Sit in your nerdiness, but not everybody's going to be. Show the evidence. To- <laughs> yes, show something, me the evidence. Well, show me the evidence. So, well, you know, we talked about if someone who is in management, some things they could do. If someone is sort of just trying to focus a little bit more on their own well being and their wellness, What are some things that you would recommend as starting points on the individual level?
1: I think if you're if you're struggling, if you're noticing like you're very anxious or your mood is really low or you're in that kind of acute burnout stage where you're noticing like for me, I was irritable with my husband, irritable with my kids. You know, I joke and say I can be a really good therapist, a pretty good mom, and a mediocre to subpar wife on any Mm -hmm. given day, (laughs) but during that part of my life, I was. I was pretty subpar in most areas. So if you're if you're struggling, I would really highly highly encourage you to find a therapist. You know, you can you can always go through your EAP, but you can also use your insurance listing to find a therapist or, you know, check with some friends. I think so many people are so open about therapy now that yes. word of mouth is a great way. Yeah. So finding someone you can talk to about what you're struggling with, I think is a really important first step. I think if it's just more general, like I just know I want to take better control of of my well-being, I think it's kind of using that menu of options of like what's going to work for me. But some basic essentials are things like getting outside, you know, taking five or 10 minutes a couple of times a day to be outside in the fresh air actually does wonders for your mental health. And there is good evidence and research to show that that's true. Things like having a couple of people in your life that you can connect to, whether that's sending a funny meme or you know a five-minute phone call on your way home from work, just making sure that you're touching base with people that you care about every day because we spend so much of our workday engaging with clients and colleagues and rushing from place to place. And you know we might be having lots of conversations, but not about something meaningful personally to us. Right. So just having those touch points in your day where someone who really cares about you that you really care about you have the opportunity to connect with. And then I think anything that can kind of get you into that flow state where you yeah. kind of lose track of time. So a lot of us have had hobbies or interests and maybe lost them during the pandemic or kind of have lost touch with the things that really help us to take care of ourselves or help resource us. But, you know, anything artistic, anything creative. And that doesn't necessarily mean painting a masterpiece. Although if you're a great artist, go for it. Yes. But you know, creativity can also be like collaging with your kids on the kitchen table and cutting stuff out of magazines or like trying a new recipe. If you like to cook things or interior decorating, like head to home goods for an hour and, you know, see what happens. So I think it's finding like, what are those Parts of yourself that you might have lost touch with, and how do you start to reintegrate them into your daily life? You know, ideally, not thinking about well being as like another task on your to do list or something that you need to put like a boundary around for a specific amount of time, but more so, how do we start integrating more moments of joy, more moments of levity, more moments of connection into the stuff we're already doing? A really, really simple strategy that anyone can use anytime is a friend of mine who's an attorney in Chicago. She taught this to me actually. She said she looks for five-star moments. And what that means is every day, multiple times a day, if you pay attention to what's going on around you, you can catch that little glimmer of like of awe or of you know just feeling really connected. So it might be walking down the street and seeing the way the sun shines through the trees. It might be like hearing your kid giggle at the end of the day, or it could be like doing something nice for your colleague and seeing a genuine sense of gratitude on their face, right? Just catching that moment, paying attention to it and savoring it just for a few seconds. Um, And it really is just kind of a micro dose of well-being.
0: That's fantastic. That's such a great and simple sort of strategy that you can can incorporate because you you know, you just gave excellent advice that it's not something in boundaries. It's not a task on a checklist. So that's a way you can just sort of incorporate it fully into what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, in any situation, if you give yourself enough time to just pay attention, you can usually find something yes. that Absolutely. you can savor for a minute.
0: Well, it's even like when you get in the car and a song that reminds you of like your best friend or a time comes on, just take a moment and like. Yes. That's it. We've
1: started in the morning, my kids get in the car and we stick on a song, same song every morning. And that's our going to school song. And it pumps us up and we all sing along and it maybe sounds silly. No. But it's turned our morning routine from like, come on, we're late, we're late, we're late, get in the car, we got to go, we got to go to like, okay, whether we're late or not, as soon as we get in the car, we put our song on and we rock out to it for the five minutes it takes us to get to the drop-off line. And it really has changed the tone of our morning, just because it's it's part of our routine now and we've integrated, we have to drive to school anyway. So we right. may as well drive to school doing something that kind of pumps us up and sets the tone for a good day.
0: Yeah, that's terrific. Well, so since this is a law podcast, I think maybe we should talk about All Rise for a couple of minutes before we sign off. This is a Absolutely. project that you and your partner Ashley Frankel developed for the New York State Bar Association, which is really amazing. So can you give us a little bit of an overview?
1: Absolutely. So I had done a little bit of work for the New York State Bar Association last year after the Dobbs decision. The women, the, the, in law the, section. <laughs> the women in law section came to me and said, we'd really like you to do something for our section on Dobbs. People are having really strong responses to it, and we're not really sure what to do with that. So we did a session on grief and trauma post Dobbs, and it was incredibly well attended. So many people came out for this And I did something that I think the organizers weren't sure was going to work, which was broke people up into breakout groups and had them talk about their own grief and trauma responses, right? This was not a webinar. It wasn't a training. It was really a facilitated discussion on how people were actually doing. And the response was just fantastic. People, I think, didn't realize how much they needed to talk about this, especially with other people in their community until they were in it. Um so after that Libby Crano got in touch with me from the New York State Bar Association and said we would really like to work on a bigger project with you around lawyer well-being. The women in law section really, you know, wants to to stick, get involved in this and sign on to it as well. What do you think? And that's kind of how All Rise was born. So my my colleague Ashley and I had been working together on some smaller projects over the course of the last year. And one thing that's true of putting together any program that wants um, CLE credit is that you need a practicing attorney to co-facilitate. Very lucky for me, Ashley is an attorney (laughs) and a leadership coach and mindfulness guru. So Ashley and I joined forces and we created something called the All Rise Initiative, which is a partnership between my organization and her organization. Fully focused on legal well-being. So we have a program that we're running with the New York State Bar starting uh, May 17th, and it's running for five sessions every other Wednesday for the Women in Law Section. And it really is focusing on those essential aspects, those core skills of well-being. We we really wanted to move away from just information and move into insight, skill building, action building community, you know, really an integrated approach to well-being, not just like, here's some information for you to take away. So we're going to be looking at things like awareness and acknowledging how mental health and stress impact us and our bodies. We're going to be looking at things like those like sticky thinking traps and that inner critic and the the stories we tell ourselves and kind of how to shift out of that into some more positivity. That sounds good. We're gonna, we're going to be looking at relationships, both with other people and our relationship with ourselves, and thinking about our values and you know the meaning and purpose in our work and how important that is. We're going to be thinking about rest and recovery, which is something that I think attorneys and legal professionals don't tend to spend a lot of time on. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, but but you know I think it's for good reason, right? Like it's not a system that's set up to promote rest and recovery. So that's why it really has to be intentional. And people have to really be kind of open to thinking differently about how do we plan our recovery? How do we set boundaries in a way that still allows us to do our job? How do we incorporate restorative activity into our daily life, right? Because we can't, we're, we are very realistic. You know, Ashley was a practicing attorney for a long time. I have been around enough attorneys at this point to understand the reality of the work that you all do. We don't want to come in being like, oh, well, just you know, take more breaks and take more <laughs> vacations and work less hours. We want to be realistic about what the, the real lived experience is of attorneys and legal professionals. And also how can we start maybe shifting mindsets and incorporating some new ideas that can really move the dial.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean... As the incoming chair of the women in law section, I'm, we were so, I can say that that was one of the best received programs we had and all rise just really has so much potential to help people sort of shift that inner dialogue a little bit. And hopefully then as a profession, we can start to make some change, right? When you're in a profession where hours build equals revenue, that's a reality. I mean, it's not like that in all parts of the legal profession, but in private practice, it is. So how can you be healthy within that framework?
1: Right, right. Within the reality of the world you live in, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we take care of our people? And as leaders, how do we maybe rethink some of those systems and structures in a way that that works better? Um, But with with All Rise, we're we're really excited because it's designed to be run in small cohorts of 24 people at a time. So we're going to have 24 women in this first inaugural cohort. And so besides the education and the skill building and kind of all the practices that we're going to be doing, it's the community, right? Our hope is that at the end of these 10 hours, the women who engage in this program are going to walk away with 23 new parts of their support system. Yeah. Um, People who really get it, who've gone through this experience together who've shared some of what it's been like for them to try to take care of themselves, their kids, their parents, their work, and really come out of this with a sense of connection and just not being in this alone. Right.
0: Because I think it's a
1: lonely place to try to do this work on your own and it's transformative to do it in community.
0: That's fantastic. Well, I'm so grateful that you said yes to to that program last year and then brought all rise and joining on the podcast today. I don't know. I think we should get Ashley and take this on the road to a conference this summer or something. What do you think? Maybe (laughs) one in Charlotte. Maybe one in Charlotte. We should do that. Well, thank you again, Amy. And of course, to Ashley as well, for all the work that you're doing with the legal profession and just for raising awareness. So any final thoughts as we embark on mental health awareness month? Ooh, now I'm on the spot. Good all you. <laughs> I
1: think giving yourself some grace. I think many legal professionals, but also therapists yeah. as well, like we're also really not good at this. Giving ourselves some grace and some space to not do it all, all the time, to not get it right every time. You know, we are all doing the best we can under some less than ideal circumstances these days. And I think that the skill that many of us could use is some self compassion. So I think if you do anything over the course of being in law week, I would say give yourself a break, be kind, and if you catch yourself kind of using that inner critic or listening to the inner critic, reminding yourself like well, you know, if my best friend came to me with this situation, what would I say to her? If my daughter came to me with this concern, how would I speak to them about it? And so when you're thinking about your own inner dialogue, trying to shift it to a much more compassionate, much more gracious way of talking to yourself. Um, And if you're doing that, you will be feeling much better as you deal with whatever the stressors and pressures are that are still gonna be there, but you're coming from a much more centered place.
0: Well, that's a fantastic way to wrap up our conversation and excellent advice. I mean, I feel truly lucky I get to work with you and had the opportunity to get to know you through this work. So thanks for joining us on the podcast and we'll have to have you and Ashley back soon. We would love that. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Legally Bond. If you're listening and have any questions for me, want to hear from someone at the firm, or have a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at legallybond at bsk.com. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Legally Bond wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until our next talk, be well.
1: Bond, Schenck, and King has prepared this communication to present only general information. This is not intended as legal advice, nor should you consider it as such. You should not act or decline to act based upon the contents. While we try to make sure that the information is complete and accurate, laws can change quickly. You should always formally engage a lawyer of your choosing before taking actions which have legal consequences. For information about our communication, firm, practice areas, and attorneys, visit our website, bsk.com. This is attorney advertising.